as we grow older, our priorities change. You know, I remember being a little kid and thinking, boy, when I get into the junior high school, what's called middle school now, and then I thought, well, when I turned 16, you know, I can get my permit and then I can get my license and then I got my own car and then I thought, well, when I'm 18, shortly after I turn 18, I'll graduate and then two months later I went in the Army and got done with my training and thought, oh man, I'm going to Hawaii, I can't believe it, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. And I ended up going to Vietnam instead. Uh, of course, while I was there, I couldn't wait to get back home. Uh, and then I got married and had children and went to work for the sheriff's department. And I thought, you know, this is going to be a great job. It was one of those jobs that everybody was looking for another job. Uh, and then my first wife and I, we split up and then I got married. And then uh, the most important date in my life, October 2nd, 1977, I made a commitment to the Lord. And then we had children and went into the ministry and we moved and we moved and we moved and then I retired and and then you know just move in a few more times and so then to get near grandchildren you know we came to Oklahoma and now I just kind of like to be left alone and do what I want to do when I want to do it you've maybe heard the saying when we plan God laughs now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's something that, you know, you really have to think about. You know, sometimes the plans that we have may sound really great, and they may end up being really great. But if the Lord's not in the middle of those plans, God's just going to laugh and say, no, we're not going to go that way. We're not going to do that. We're going to do this instead. But we're not going to do it right away. It's going to be a little while, and so you're going to have to wait. And so, as our priorities change, God needs to be more and more on the top of that list. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks. I thank you for my family. I thank you for the church where we get to worship. I thank you for our kids and for our grandkids. And Lord, thanking you that you know two of our sons and their families are just down the road a ways. And uh, so we get to see them frequently. And uh, Lord, I just I just praise you that you've blessed us in the ways that you have. Uh, because uh, you've blessed us in ways that I never imagined, that's for sure. So Father, I just give you thanks. Most of all, I give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ, and he was willing to die on the cross for me. Okay? I know I'm not the greatest person. I know I'm not the worst person, but Jesus died for me and the greatest, and the worst, everybody in between. Thank you, Jesus. So as we look at your word, Lord, help us to see what it is that you want us to get out of this. Because, Lord, when we uh, let the Holy Spirit guide us, Lord, we know that we'll be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, we like to have a front row seat. <clears throat> you know, at a ball game, you know, it's... Nice to be right up front where you can see what's going on. Uh, I saw the other day that um, Super Bowl tickets, the cheap seats, were almost $5,000. You 
and the good seats were almost $40,000. Even if my team was in the Super Bowl, I really don't think that I would spend $6,000. I know I wouldn't spend $40,000 to watch him play in the Super Bowl. Uh, My sister and her husband, uh, they're big Buffalo Bills fans, and they had seasons tickets for years. And every year they'd move a little closer to the 50-yard line. So, you know, you got a, a better seat. And it was kind of funny because they were uh, Bills fans back when the Bills were doing nothing, uh, losing a whole lot more than they won. And a couple of years after they quit doing the uh, season's tickets, uh, the Bills went to four Super Bowls. But we want a front row seat at a concert. Ah, oh, man. Be right up front. And you can see the, the singers are right there. And, you know, the band, you can watch them playing their instruments. And, you know, just right up front, right there where you can get it all. When I had a youth group uh, before I went into the ministry, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and I took a group of kids and we went to see Striper. I don't know if any of you remember Striper. Some of you maybe never heard of him. But uh, we were back like maybe six rows or so. No, I don't think any further than that. And we were so close that, you know, when they hit a bass note, your clothes just vibrated. Okay. So, you know, you go to a concert like that, you know, you can hear from anywhere. You can hear outside, okay? But when you get right down there, you can say that you saw Chris Tomlin or Elvis or Carrie Underwood or whoever, you know, just kind of right up close and personal. We want a front row seat if we go to the play, okay? Especially if your child or grandchild is in, you want to be right up there so you can watch them sing or speak or whatever it is their part is in the play, even if they're just a tree, you know, and they have no lines, you know, you still want to be right up there. Uh, I know we have gone to Sight and Sound, which is a a group of Christian people, uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Branson, Missouri, and they do uh, Joseph and Jesus and uh, Daniel and uh, different Bible people, and you don't want to be in the front row there because in the theater, there's a lot of action going on the the two sides as well. And so if you're right down in the front, you can't see what's going on on the sides. I've never been to Broadway, but when we still lived in Western New York, we went to Toronto different times. So Miss Saigon, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and a couple other plays. So it seems unfortunate, though, that people don't want to be in the front row at church. You know, it seems like the back pews, they fill up first. I'm not sure why. Uh, Maybe it's because you got kids in the nursery and, you know, you don't know when somebody's going to need you to go take care of your child. And, you know, I can see that. 
or maybe for some people it's just they want to get out and get to the rest of their day you know hey i put in my hour you know it's time to go home it's time to go shopping it's time to do whatever or maybe you want to get out in a hurry you know so you can get there before the other churches get out at uh, you can get to ihop or perkins or wherever it is that you want to go well unless you're going to a church for a wedding then you want to be as close as you can be um, obviously you know if you're not part of the family you're not going to be right up in the front pew uh, but you want to get as close as you can because you don't want to miss anything that's been said and we don't want to be in the front row at a funeral because that means that a loved one's died that means that your life is changed and is changing and will continue to change it means your life will never be the same so you don't want to be in the front row at a funeral so why do i want to talk about this well number one maybe we need to make some changes maybe we need to have a front row seat at church okay this is the place where you know if you're right up front you're not going to miss anything okay you're going to be able to to see what's going on and and to hear the the pastor and and you want to get up front not just to see the choir director or the organist or the worship team or whatever but you get up front to pay attention to the message that the lord has given to the speaker and you should want to be up front in your small group or sunday school class a bible study whatever it may be because the leaders put a lot a lot of time in to get it right and he or she knows that it's important to share the word of truth from the lord and so we should want to be right up there where we're not going to miss anything and number two maybe we need to sit where the lord puts us and what do i mean by that listen to jesus in luke chapter 20 verse 46 it says beware of the teachers of the law they like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets you know i think we kind of like to be near where the action is like at weddings and concerts and plays and all because uh, there's nothing worse than getting to your child or grandchild's concert late and end up having to sit in the bleachers or stand in the back um, but the pharisees they would be disgraced if they weren't sitting in the front row okay because they felt like they were the guest of honor no matter what the occasion was you know even if they were going to someone's wedding they still thought they needed to be honored and lifted up just because of who they were but if we sit where the lord wants to put us it'll be more like in proverbs 25 6 and 7 it says do not exalt yourself in the king's presence do not claim a place among his great men it is better for him to say to you come up here than for him to humiliate you before his nobles now i believe jesus was referring to this when uh, 
he was talking about he was having a meal at a house and the Pharisee had invited him for dinner. And then we find this in Luke 14, beginning in verse 8. Jesus said, When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That would be like going to a wedding and sitting up in the front row that is reserved for the parents and the grandparents of the bride and groom. And somebody comes along, one of the ushers, and says, oh, you can't sit there. You know, you need to move back here. Six rows, 12 rows, whatever, back. So you would be humiliated. But when is it a positive, when it, excuse me, when it is a positive thing, we want to be up front. And sometimes we're put in our place. We find Jesus addressing this in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 46. It says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them should be the greatest. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Not what the disciples wanted to hear, okay? They thought they needed to stand out to be seen, and Jesus says, you need to be the one behind the scenes serving others, okay? That's how you get ahead. In John 6, we find the only miracle that is in all four Gospels besides the resurrection, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. And after the meal was over, uh, Jesus went away alone to pray. And the disciples, they hopped in a boat and they headed for Capernaum. And after they were out quite a ways, the storm came up. And Jesus walks out to them on the water and calms a storm, hops in the boat, and they arrive in Capernaum. And when they get there, the people are looking for Jesus, okay, because other people had gone out in boats and gone around uh, to the lake and, and were ready to meet him. And this is what it says in John 6, verses 25, 26. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The people were looking for what they could get from Jesus physically, and Jesus came to give us, to give them what 
we and they needed spiritually. So we need to know that Jesus did that and continues to do that for us. Well, when does Jesus hear from us most often? It's when we have a need. When there's yourself or someone else that's sick or has been injured. It's when you have a child that, you know, is doing things they shouldn't be doing and hanging out with people they shouldn't be hanging out with. It's when there's more bills than there is money. It's when relationship with family or spouse is struggling. That's when we go to Jesus. And speaking only for myself, I know that I go to Jesus about something and I get the answer and I forget to go back and thank God. You know, I think God gets a whole lot more requests than he does thanks. Because I go to him when a friend or family member is sick, but I, I don't go back when the person is healed. I go to him when the money's tight, but I don't bother to go to him when the bills are paid. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think that's just the way a lot of us may be. But one thing I know for sure, that no matter what, God doesn't turn me away when I go to him again. <laughs> Praise his name. Yeah, he doesn't say, hey, I answered this prayer for you last week <clears throat> when you wanted your mother to be healed. And you didn't bother coming back to thank me. So, you know, just don't bother praying, okay? Because I'm not going to answer this prayer for you. Okay, I, I don't care what your needs are. You know, you're not going to bother to come back and thank me. Forget it. God doesn't do that. Okay? God knows us. God knows our hearts. Well, I believe Paul really hit the nail on the head in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is beginning in verse 22. Paul says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I always liked that part, the first part of verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Okay, how true that is. Okay, I might think that I come up with just the best idea that there ever was. And, you know, to God, it's, it's nothing. Okay, there's been many people that I thought to be wise. But the wisdom that they have really is nothing at all. <clears throat> Even Solomon, okay, in 1 Kings 4, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Israelite, wiser than Heman and 
Kelkal and Darda, the sons of Halhal, and his fame spread to the surrounding areas. And then in verse 34, it goes on to say, from all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard his wisdom. So the verse to note here is verse 29, where it says, God gave wisdom or gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and breadth of understanding as measureless as the sea, sand on the seashore. Okay, so God gave that to him. And usually he gives something that you have, or he gives something that he has an abundance of. So another thing in First Kings 10, the Queen of Sheba had heard about Solomon. Okay, all these other people have come and listened to Solomon and his wisdom, and so she heard about it. And so in verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, she came to test Solomon's wisdom with hard questions. Okay, she thought, man, I'm going to stump this guy. Nobody else has been able to, but I'm going to. You know, I'm going to know something that he doesn't know when I get there. And she saw how wise he was, and she gave him four and a half tons, okay? Not ounces, not pounds, four and a half tons of gold. Plus all kinds of spices and precious stones. I mean, like the guy needed any of this. He was the richest man in the world, okay? But because of his wisdom, you know, people looked up to him and people you know, gave him things. It's like, you know, you go and listen to this guy and you feel like you got to give him something. So what does any of this have to do with the topic of front row seat? Well, we're impressed by things. We don't get impressed by things that we have, but we get impressed by things that we don't have, things that we wonder about. And we like to be close to people that have what we wish we had. Why do we want that front row seat at a concert? Well, sometimes it may be because, you know, we wish we were there. We wish, you know, we think, you know, I, I can sing really well. You know, why can't I be up there? I can play the guitar or the drums or the keyboard. You know, I should be up there. And sometimes it's just because we're just so impressed by the talent of the people that are up there that we want to be in that front row seat. So we, we see the drummer, you know, you're a amateur drummer and you just want to watch this guy and how he beats on those drums. <clears throat> Why do we want a front row seat at a child's play? <clears throat> because they're a child or because they're a grandchild. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's usually not because the play is great and they're so talented but it's with the pride that we have in that child. Why do we want the front row seat at a wedding, or at least as close to the front as possible? Because we want to see the groom's face as he watches the bride approach. We want to see the father handing off his daughter to another man. We want to see him looking in each other's eyes as they give their vows. And we're just afraid we're going to miss something. You know, if I was sitting way back there, you know, I wouldn't know what was going on. We're afraid we're going to miss something important, something that will never happen again, and something that will never be forgotten. 
Let me tell you how I imagine heaven, at least a part of heaven. And that's that you will always be in Jesus's presence. Each one of us, all the time, not that Jesus is standing up on a stage and billions of people are around him and you're in his presence that way, but he's in our presence one-on-one and always has a time to talk to us and answer the questions that we may have. You know, I think most of us think, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to whoever, you know, and Jesus would be ready to explain his parables, the things that you maybe thought you understood. But then Jesus say, mm, no, that, that's really not where I was going with that. You know, this is what I meant when I said this. And Jesus will explain why he thought we were worth dying for. You know, it won't be a group or a congregation thing. It's going to be me and Jesus, one-on-one, all the time. Me and him. Him and you and every other you. If, and that's a big if, that's the way that it may be. Well, why don't we want to be closer to him now? Why do we think, you know, it would be really important to be close to him in heaven, but, you know, we, we really don't get close to him now. Why don't we want to learn more and more about him? Why don't we try harder to understand the scriptures? It's kind of like I saw on Facebook the other day. So when I die and I'm buried, don't go on and on about how much you loved me and you're going to miss me when you don't bother to come and see me now. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that's kind of our relationship with Jesus, except Jesus isn't going to say that. Okay? You know, if you've given your life to Jesus and you die, he isn't going to say, well, you know, you didn't, you know, you went to church once, maybe twice a month. You know, you read your Bible you know, maybe once a week, just a few verses, you know, and now you're coming to me. Now Jesus is going to say, ah, oh, welcome. I'm glad you're here. This is what Jesus had to say concerning this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The closeness needs to start now if we expect to have a front row seat when we get in heaven. And that front row seat, hopefully is reserved with your, your name on it and my name on it and that closeness to the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me share with you the refrain from a song that I know I've used before. It's just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord. Let it be. That one line daily walking close to thee that's what it is expected of us okay we're looking for that front row seat and jesus is saying 
just come closer. Okay, just come closer to me every day. Come closer to me and a relationship will grow. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for those that know you and love you and have made a commitment to you. And Lord, help us to, to look at that commitment and make it stronger. Okay, to make you number one, the top priority on our list uh, above anything else, above our family, above our job, above our stuff, that you need to be the number one priority in our lives. And not just on Sunday morning, but Lord, 24-7, we need to put you before anything and everything and anyone. So Father, I know that sometimes it's hard to do. <clears> that <throat> we get caught up in the things that are going on in our lives. And when we should be coming to you about those things, we stay away from you or stand back from you instead of getting into that front row seat where we need to be. So, Father, help us to come close daily, coming close to you. And, Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening that doesn't know you, that, Lord, they've heard about you. Maybe they've read about you. Maybe they've read your Bible, maybe from cover to cover, but they've never made a commitment. They've never given themselves over to you. Lord, let today be the day. Let this be the time that they say that I need the Lord in my life more than anything else. And, Lord, let them know that they haven't been too bad that there's no one that you're going to turn away. And they're not so good that they're not sure if they need you or not because they've been such a good person. Lord, let them know that no one, no one is that good, that we all need you. And Lord, let them pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. The only Savior is your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sin, and rose from the dead. And he told us he's coming back and we need to be ready. So Father, accept me as your child. In Jesus' name, amen.